0: okay welcome everybody to theology thursday one of these days there will be a week that doesn't start with me going okay Just seems like the right thing to do happy birthday to ed bless okay
1: happy birthday you know a lot of people love to spend their birthdays here with us on theology it's Thursday. True. we get a lot of that
0: this was the top of ed's birthday list i heard was he was mm-hmm. like i would love this that the other hit thing. Hit the but
1: like button to give uh, Ed bless a happy birthday. That's
0: the gift he wants tonight.
1: He he wants to see that hit like ten. Oh hey, right somebody away. did it right away. Right now, away.
0: You know what? Um, this is interesting bit of trivia. It's also my daughter's birthday today, Ed. Um, my daughter Jubilee turned three today, um, which is totally not cool with me. Give a like. Give a like for, for the babies for Ellie's birthday today. All the babies of the world. She is in bed, so she won't appreciate your like. But um, yeah, man, little kids getting bigger is not cool. I'm not no, okay with it
1: at all. It's totally sad.
0: I'm like, it's super fun and cool. And like, I like being able to talk to th- to them more and like all that stuff. And I'm not just like, dude, you got to stay a baby. I think kids, you know, if you could stick at like two and a half. So that's a good age. That's a pretty fun age. They're all good.
1: They're, it's like uh, anyone will tell you every, every year goes past and there's new things to love and things you'll miss. But from what I hear, there ain't none alike like about like sixteen, seventeen. Years. Yeah, you
0: just got to survive those years, I've heard. What do you think, Kevin? Your kids aren't watching right now. Is, they're, how are the teen years?
1: My kids don't count. They were perfect through their whole teen years.
0: So you taught them how to lie. All right. <laughs> Kevin Kevin being a good example to his kids. Hey, so we're in week three of our Angels, Demons, and the Spirit World series. Um, Hopefully, you guys have been tracking. It's one of those things where we really like... I don't know what you think. I, there's almost no way to review what we've covered. It's just too much. Um, so really broad strokes. We've just been talking about kind of like a, a broader understanding of the Bible's description of the spirit world that includes not just angels and demons, but a world populated with tons and tons of different types of spiritual mm-hmm. beings, of uh, various power and stuff like that. So if you're interested in that, um, or if things tonight are confusing because you're lacking context, I, highly encourage you to watch the first two weeks, especially if you're not watching this live. Yeah. Right Cause
1: now. stuff is already going to sound weird tonight. Yeah. And without the two pre the, the previous weeks, it has the possibility of sounding even more weird.
0: Yeah. In fact, I would venture to say that if you just start, I mean, who knows what we're even going to say tonight, but my guess is that if you just watch this with no context, you'd be like, those dudes are heretics. You might take away your likes. <laughs> you might give some thumbs down. You might give a thumbs down. So no thumbs down until you're fully caught up and then watch this. Yeah. Hey, a bunch of other people jumped in and said, hi, Good to see all of you guys. Ellen Waddell says she tells her grandkids to stop growing, but it hasn't worked yet. Nope, not gonna work. What up to Shkaberiferous? I know who that is, but I won't say because I don't want to embarrass you based on the name you've chosen for your YouTube. Um, But good to see you guys, welcome. Um, Yeah, so there's a word though that we should review because we're gonna end up using it a bunch, which is the word Elohim. What would be your like 30 second summary of what that word means? Elohim is what
1: is translated in the majority of English Bibles as lowercase gods or God, lowercase g-o-d. We talked about in week one or two that we need to think about it differently and think about it just as a spiritual being. It's a category of a being that exists in the spiritual realm. God is sometimes called Elohim, but it's because he is the the Elohim of Elohims. Like uh, the example we gave is there's men in the world, but like if you if you meet the top dog that dude's the man. Yeah. He's the man. And so likewise there is spiritual beings, some good, some not so good, some really bad, and God is the top of the hierarchy of the spiritual yeah. beings.
0: And and fundamentally different because he's the creator of every other spiritual being. So one of the keys is is knowing that capital G God is Unique in that he is the uncreated creator of everything, including the hosts of heaven. The Bible yeah. is really it's, clear on yeah, that.
1: Yeah, it, it's an extremely flexible word where in English the word God yeah. is not That's flexible. a good point.
0: The word God for us means, like includes in it that there's only one of that. Yeah. And that it's the, it is the creator of everything. And at best everything. there's
1: false gods, but they're not really w- real. Yeah.
0: And so that sets you down. This is kind of what we talked about in week one. That understanding of that word sets you down a bad path in terms of just thinking like, well, a lowercase g god must just be a god of someone's imagination, whereas the Bible sure seems to treat them like they are real beings. In
1: Exodus, God brings judgment upon the gods of Egypt. Um, he has his counsel, as we talked about, yeah. among the Elohim. And that's where it can get really confusing if it's translated gods because it's like, well, what's going on here? Uh, but again, the, the, the key concept is Elohim in Hebrew is a category of being, and it's a spiritual being.
0: Awesome. And so tonight... We're going to talk about maybe, oh, hey, hello from Lincoln, California. Welcome. I don't know where that is. Kevin probably does. Kevin, where's Lincoln? You do know, huh?
1: He don't know, man. He's looking for a button. Got to be quicker with those
0: crickets. Yeah, that was that was close, close to working. Oh, look at Jacob just owning his name. He's like, you're not going to shame me. Quicker than a cricket. That's a good me. book.
1: There's a little kid's book Quick called as a Cricket. Quicker as a Cricket, man. Little Heck yeah. Cricket.
0: We wore Ass. that book out quick as a cricket. He's like uh, as, as strong as a ox. The yeah. kids, all these different things. Pretty yeah. cool. So, okay. We're probably about to talk about the, what is most likely the weirdest Old Testament passage. Is that fair? I want to say it's the weirdest, but we'll be safe and say it's top five. Top five for sure. Um, and that's Genesis six. And so normally I'd be able to pull this up on the screen, but um, I had some technical difficulties tonight. Um, Isaac told me to blame Kevin, um, so I'm going to. It's yeah, Kevin's I told fault. him before the show started. <laughs>
1: just save Kevin. Forgot that adapter we asked him to bring.
0: Hey, that yeah. was quick.
1: That was good.
0: That I don't know quick. if this makes this show good. better or worse. Yeah, no, it makes it way better. <laughs> I think I think worse. Uh, either way, way I'm 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 on board. Lincoln is north of Sacramento, south of Marysville. Oh, that's very specific. Welcome. I know where it's at. Yeah, me too. Now that that helped. Okay, so um, I'm just going to read this to you and I'm going to do some translating as we go so that you hear terms that are familiar to us from the rest of the series. Um, When man began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them, the bene, Bene Elohim, the sons of God, Bene Elohim, saw the daughters of man were attractive and they took as their wives any they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh, his days shall be a hundred and twenty years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the Bene Elohim came into the daughters of man, and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. Some of the weirdest four verses in the whole Bible, for sure. And this leads straight into the story of the flood like the result of this story mm-hmm. is god seeing the wickedness of humanity and saying we're we're bringing the chaotic waters back so there's a bunch of theories about what's going on here but on the surface the story is these beings that are called sons of god bene elohim we talked in week one about the fact that the every time a being is referred to that at, at, to as that in scripture it's a spiritual being divine council type mm-hmm. people or beings, um, they have some sort of sexual interaction with human women that results in children who are mighty men of old, these giants that they yeah. call Nephilim. So, dude, what's going on?
1: <laughs> okay, so a cu- couple things. One, and we have I think we said this week one of this series, but our job is to do the best we can with being faithful to the text. We shouldn't be embarrassed by it. We shouldn't be afraid to follow where it leads Shouldn't us. Shouldn't be
0: trying to unweird yeah, and it. And
1: this is one of those passages that historically, especially in the, in the modern era, um, in the last 200 years, we've tried to take the weird out of it, and essentially we come up with interpretations that remove any type of spiritual understanding of it. So one of the views um, uh, is an idea that there was like nobles who took wives from themselves among like the peasant class right and it was like an illegal forced marriage type of thing so the kind of the rich elite take um from the the peasants like the most beautiful women you see that in um braveheart Braveheart, yeah yeah where on the night of of the couple's is that what they called it yeah yeah um and they take they they take the 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 woman and it's it's a way to be like we're going to control the population type
0: That's the explanation I heard growing up for what it's worth that sons of God here is referring to powerful human beings. Yes. But if you're reading it just on the surface, you go, well, why then would the result of that be these Nephilim, these beings that seem to be something different, something special.
1: It's very difficult to, to sit there because immediately there's some type of super hybrid being that's introduced into the story. Additionally, um, the idea of the sons of God, these sons of Elohim, that's that's all throughout the scriptures. And as you said, whether it's in the book of Job, it's in the Psalms, they're referring to spiritual beings. So we don't know how, we don't know the mechanics of it, we don't know like what was the the, the purpose even. But the scriptures seem to be saying that Elohim, spiritual beings, had some type of relationship with with physically human women that produced something
0: yeah and god did not like it
1: yeah god's god's really against it now some people would say oh that's easy to explain because in the new testament we have categories of like demonization yeah and that's actually the new testament word the greek word um when we talk about demonic possession that that word isn't necessarily the the best way to translate the greek yeah. word. It's just demonized and so it could be that There's these men who open themselves up to the demonic and they become demonized the same way someone is in the New Testament. And then they have these encounters with women and there's some type of
0: weird spiritual something going on.
1: Yeah. Or it could just be some people would say that those are human children, but they're depicted in some type of demonic category because Mm. they are. Produce in some type of unholy union.
0: Yeah, and either way that part of it I think makes sense because whether these are supposed to be demonic spiritual beings or human beings empowered by that sort of demonic spiritual being There's clearly a polemical tone to this. Yeah polemic meaning there's there's like a case being made against other nations and their theologies because almost every ancient Near Eastern culture around Israel had as part of their origin story, mythologies that involved the founders of their nations being demigods. These like half God, half men. It's the wrong time period, but think like a Hercules type character. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, And so you have characters. Oh, who's the super famous one? I can't know why I can't remember his name right now. Gilgamesh. Gilgamesh is one of these. Um, And so the idea is that, you know, the author of the Bible is saying every other nation around here looks up to some giant Super demigod, half yeah. man, half god hybrid, with pride, and says our nation was founded by yeah. you know mighty men by mighty men, and this story is saying those men are not worthy of adoration mm-hmm. or reverence. They are the spawn of Satan in a sense. They're yeah. evil, and it's there's it's it's a unnatural thing that God despises. So mm-hmm. it's it's a way of kind of talking smack about all of yeah, the nations abs- around abs- Israel. That's that's absolutely, and right. that's true either way, right?
1: Yeah, no matter what conclusion you come to that's that's part of the polemic that's going on here it's like israel is not supposed to do these things um and so the the i what's important to note is that the the scriptures kind of toy with the category of what are the offspring yeah so it's a spiritual being with a physical being a human being but it kind of seems like these are human offspring. They're not spiritual beings in the same sense. So even the Bible is sort of toying with the categories. Um, and the interpreter's job is to try to figure out what's actually being communicated. And then more importantly, why might the scriptures be toying with these categories? Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I think one of the keys here, that's really easy to miss. It's something that was that I, I had pointed out to me by Tim Mackey in the Bible project is that there's something about the design of the story that indicates something of the purpose of the story yeah so in genesis chapter three very famously eve is tempted by the serpent and eats the forbidden fruit and as the curse the fall happens as a result of that it's a mango well, it's a mango oh i ate one of those tonight no mango i mean that no one's gonna, no one <laughs> gonna
1: fall for an apple man no
0: maybe a honey crisp the, maybe but those didn't exist but a then. red
1: delicious no way
0: red delicious by the way most poorly named fruit no, in human history. It's, it's
1: just like a, it's red border, disgusting. It's almost borderline bad applesauce. Yeah. It's
0: just mush. It should be called a a brown disgusting. Yeah. Not a red delicious. A good, a good call. I ate a mango today and I literally told my wife while I was eating it, I was like, what's the best fruit in the world and why is it mango? Cause it's like, it's like eating candy, dude. I felt like I was eating candy. Yeah, it really is. So, so uh, we're going to picture a mango. So picture a mango. Tree. Now, um, Drew is paying me some sort of compliment that I I don't understand. He said I look flocco. Anybody want to translate that for me? Ugly. Oh, okay. That <laughs> <means> <laughs> I ugly. just assumed it was a compliment because it was from Drew, but uh, no, it I, means I, ugly. that was the the slowest slow pitch in human history. I just oh, gave that's you. <laughs> how I just
1: translated it, man.
0: <laughs> so okay, so you've got this this story of Eve and the serpent. And there's something about the design of that story that starts there, that keeps getting repeated over and over in the yeah. Old Testament. And it's the use of these three Hebrew words that. Okay, let me pause you yeah. there,
1: because this is going to be, this is a uh, in, in in the in the snob academic world, I would say this is an, an excursus. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> because one of Sam and I's biggest beef with all English translations yes. is about is is what we're going to talk about. Yeah. And it's like, it's should pull it up. It's one of the most important things. And it's one of the most beautiful things scripture does. And the 95% of the time our English translations do this wrong and they don't do it wrong in the sense that you'll come to the wrong conclusion. It's not like, Oh, if you learn Hebrew, then you'll get the secret understanding. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is there is beauty in the Hebrew scriptures that is, that are not being captured. In our English translation, and, and this is the the
0: quintessential example. And of it. you miss stuff here that they really, really want you to see. And it's not stuff that, like you said, it's really. I think it's really important anytime we talk smack about translation to say your English translation is very, very good. You can trust it ninety nine percent of the time. You're not going to be led into false doctrine yeah. by it um, if you have a good one. Um, the, the
1: difference w- that what we're talking about related to, like, if there was a way to highlight words with a highlighter on the ancient like Torah scrolls. This is, this would be the equivalent, but there wasn't highlighters. So this
0: is what they did. So this is what they do. So it says, um, in this, in Genesis three, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. Now there's three key words in that in Hebrew. The first one is the word saw. And then the second one is the word good, tov, famous, famous Hebrew word that gets used a lot in the Old Testament. And then the word took, the action that she takes. Um, so there's the, that she saw ra'ah, that it was good tov, and she took lecha. Now that picture fruit. that conceptually with a highlighter, like in your
1: Bible, highlight those three words in, in your mind right now, those three key words. That
0: pattern will be repeated over and over and over in the Old Testament, that a character who's at a crossroads of moral choice between following the will of God or going after the ancient sin, following the way of the serpent, when faced with that choice, when they make the wrong choice, they over and over see that something is good and take it. And it happens. Once, once this was pointed out to me, again, by t- to give credit where credit is due by Tim Mackey at the Bible Project, once that's pointed out, dude, it is, it happens so often. So to the point that we're trying to make here, if you go back to Genesis six, those of you who have your Bible, you can pull that up. Sorry that we can't show it. One other
1: quick element to that, um, is that that which is being seen as good is also declared forbidden by God.
0: Yeah. So, so God in Genesis one, again, this is a, this is a digression, but it's really worth understanding. Um, in Genesis 1, God says seven times that he sees something that's good. The author wants you to see it's God's job to determine what's good. He's the one who declares what's good and what's bad. Um, and so right in Genesis 3, what Eve does is she decides that something that God has said is bad is in fact good mm-hmm. and chooses to take it against his commands. So then when you get to Genesis 6, by the way, that pattern already ge- has been repeated already before Genesis 6 because it's in the Cain and Abel story as well. Um, but in Genesis six, it says the bene Elohim, the sons of God, saw Raah that the daughters of man were tov. But this is where me and Isaac get mad because your Bible will not say good. It my the translation I'm looking at right now, the ESV says attractive. I'll just switch it up and look at NASB says beautiful. beautiful. Um, NIV says beautiful. Um, we could keep going. NRSV says the font size keeps changing, that they were fair. And so all of them, what they're trying to do is make it easier for you to read it in English and understand what it's saying. But that word does not mean attractive. There are other words to say that if that's what you really wanted to say. Yeah, uh, uh, it well, can mean. Uh, I yeah, shouldn't. G- Tove
1: yeah. can be used to express the goodness of someone's physical appearance. But there are also other words that may be more specific to that. Um, the issue The issue is, is, is you can't... <laughs> You can't, as you said, necessarily blame the translators too much because if they stuck to those, they, every time Tov appeared, they just said, say, good. good. Yeah. In English, Makes horrible English. It's, it's not going to make sense. So you win that part of it. What you lose is the highlights that are
0: in the right. text. Because here, the, what those spiritual beings do is they, just like you read three chapters ago, they see that the daughters of men are good, according mm-hmm. to them, and they, lacha, take them. And so there's a pattern that's being evoked here where you're supposed to see, I believe, the spiritual realms equivalent of humanity's fall. Meaning God set a boundary in place, said, this is what I want you to no- This is a line you don't cross. Yeah. And in response to that, just like Eve, the spiritual being said, we'll take it from here. We'll determine what's good. And so they see that these women are good and take them. And again, that pattern just to finish the digression will happen over and over and over again. When we were doing the David series.
1: Yeah, that's probably the best. That's probably the next best example.
0: I dude, I've read the David and Bathsheba story so many times. And when we were doing that series a couple years ago, I was just studying the David and Bathsheba passage for a sermon and was reading the story in English. And I was like, I saw that, you know, David's walking on the roof and he sees that Bathsheba looks beautiful. And I remember going, dude, what are the chances that that word is, is tov? And then i looked it up in hebrew it's tov and he takes her i mean the same three things he sees her
1: he declares that which is forbidden as good in his own eyes and then takes Takes her
0: and again like all of these stories the fallout that's the other piece of the design pattern that you have to see the fallout is horrible the selection of saul as king of israel has the same pattern in it um the part where what's the guy's name who steals gold from jericho Aiken, Aiken, nice.
1: Okay, I've never thought about this before, but to w- we're going to talk about Genesis six being a fall in the spiritual realm. It just hit me that I'm trying to think how much other clear cut like evil fall like stuff that David does, mm. and if that's almost a depiction of his fall. His fall. And and embedded in that is Israel's fall. I mean, Israel ultimately isn't just dis- completely destroyed until 586 with the destruction of the temple, but that puts in motion, I mean...
0: The sword will never depart from your house, God tells him. Yeah. Like, it's... You, the good times are over because of this.
1: Cursed is the ground, and now the sword is not going to leave your house.
0: Yeah, and similarly, when they choose Saul as king against God's expressed will, you're not going to have a king like the other nations because Yahweh is your king.
1: Dude, and...
0: Are we writing an article right now? David's
1: <laughs> David okay. This is so the more you read the Bible the more stuff like this pops out. So this happening is why happening in real time. So Adam and Eve's first children end up kill kill there's murder, right? Brother on brother. And David's children end up doing the same thing. Yeah. That's right. So there's murder brother to brother with David's children okay that's pretty cool okay some connections
0: we'll uh we'll table the rest of this so we can get back to spiritual beings but incredibly interesting there
1: I mean there there might be a, a case to be made that scripture is depicting this scene declaring good and taking as kind of the the seeds of the fall of the house of David
0: dude you know where there's where another one is when they make the golden calves at the base of Sinai.
1: Yes, because the same design template is there. The too. same,
0: and that one's really interesting because um, after Adam and Eve sin, it says that God comes down and yeah, says, "What have you been doing?" And Moses comes down the Ma- Mount Sinai and says, "What have you guys been doing?" So, yeah, very, very interesting. As you can tell, we are genuinely excited by this kind of thing.
1: Yeah, it's, it really is everywhere, and the more you read the Bible, the more you'll see this because you didn't you didn't need like Hebrew to see that. David has a fall, and within one generation, his kids are killing each other Right, type of thing.
0: Yeah, and, and the, the point here is that what you as a modern Western person want the Bible to do, a lot of the time it won't do it. So it's not going to say, and God told the spiritual beings, hey, don't interact with human women in this way. You know, you don't consort with humanity this way. You're a different kind of being. Don't do this. And then they rebelled, and it was just like when... Like, we want this, like, super clear, systematic thing. And the Bible, especially the Old Testament, does it much more artfully a lot of the time. Yeah. Because you're meant to meditate on it. It's not like a textbook. The idea is that you hear this story over and over again throughout your life. Mm -hmm. And time and time again, you hear it, and you see new connections. And I'm very convinced that you're meant to read Genesis 6, And it shouldn't feel as weird as it feels because the point is look what happens in the spirit realm right after what happened in the human realm that on physical earth, God's will was forsaken and people went their own way. And the sons of God did the same.
1: And it's sort of like halfway up to the Abraham story. Abraham is the, is the guy who God says, you're going to be the blessing after all this curse. But in the middle of that, you have the first chapters of the Bible and you have humanity's fall. And then in Genesis 6, and this is where it gets weird, is there's these spiritual beings that clearly disobey God's will. Were they already in rebellion? Yeah. Or is this the point where these spiritual beings fell? And is it the, the place where all the spiritual beings fell? And if not, does that mean that some spiritual beings fell maybe before? Adam and Eve, some fell. We talked about the week before, maybe Satan's fall was actually in Genesis three. Could it be that this spiritual being that we don't know his name, but he's called the Satan fell in Genesis three and then some other people fall in Genesis six. And then there's implications of could other ones fall subsequent to that? Yeah.
0: Yeah. And the question, so there's always this kind of, you know, what, what's the ratio of obedient to rebellious yeah. spiritual beings. And part of, you know, the disclaimer we made in week one is the Bible's not their story. So we don't get that much detail. The Bible is the story of God and humanity and the, and the spiritual beings are important characters in some ways, but we don't get the whole picture of what yeah. their interactions with God are like. Um, but it's super, super interesting. So, he, so here's the question. How far down the, the rabbit trail do we go here? Because we could talk about what Enoch, the book of Enoch said about what the Nephilim are and ended up being. Um, well, if
1: you're, let me see what time it is. If you're here, what time is it? 7.56. If you're here at 8 p.m. on a Thursday night for Theology Thursday, you probably want to know what the Book of
0: Enoch says. You probably want to know what the Book of Enoch says. Thumbs down if you don't, no, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. Um, okay. Let's Sam's,
1: yeah, it's, we got, we had a couple thumbs down. They really upset Sam. He tried to reach out to the people, reconcile the differences. It's true. Needless to say. I didn't take away my thumbs. Up.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, we had a Sunday morning where there was like a thumbs down right when it got posted. I know. and I was like and there's it was a hate, hater it was, waiting. It
1: was on Kevin too. It was. I'm not even joking. It was like, Kevin just did the intro. He's like, good morning, thumbs down. <laughs> I'm like, man, no, it's not, man.
0: Yeah, it's brutal. Hey, look, I, I see Ellen has probably already thumbs up, thumbs up, t- thumbs up, thumbs up to the video. And now she just threw a thumbs up in the chat too. Okay, so Andrew Bess wants to hear it. So we're going to get, um, you know, word of warning here. We are ge- entering increasingly speculative territory here because the Bible is not at all clear about this and the book we're about to talk about is not part of the biblical canon. Yeah, The Book of Enoch is a book of apocalyptic literature that was written between the end of the... <laughs> <laughs> Kelly, Kelly Funk says they were probably Australian. And while I think she means that the person who gave the thumbs down was like up at that time of day because they were in Australia, I'm going to choose to interpret that that like as an anti-Australian like all the creepers <laughs> are liars yeah exactly so you know how Australians are that's a weird group to throw shade at because I feel like people like us Austri- no
1: man everything over there is poisonous man you got to give it to them
0: man they're survivors that's true if you can live with like the giant dog-sized bats and the spiders that are as big as your face like
1: frogs that if you touch you die over there man
0: oh she's saying they were upside down so they thought they were giving a thumbs up
1: oh that had Layers that had
0: layered that had more of a dad joke feeling. We don't know how to go that deep. (laughs) So, book of Enoch is um, incredibly popular in the Jewish world between the Old Testament and into the time of the New Testament. Um, It's not in the Bible. The only there's a couple of sects of Christianity that do have it in their Bible, but it's very, it's like a
1: i don't even know that there's
0: one that has it in their bible and i don't remember which one it is it's one of the older eastern churches it's Um, probably
1: not coptic i don't think it's probably like we could double check this later but it might be like the the ethiopic
0: yeah that's what i i think it's the ethiop the ethiopic church so it's the thing that's interesting about it is it's not canon it's not in the bible um, and there's a bunch of really weird stuff in it um but it was very influential to conservative Mm -hmm. jewish people during the intertestamental period and on into the time of jesus so it lot. gives
1: you a clue into what people who aren't saturated in modernity how they might approach the text yeah because as you said man when we look at that it's like what in the world is going on And we have all these filters trying to navigate out of the weirdness where it wasn't weird. It wasn't weird to them. Right. So they just go, Oh, let me tell you what, what I think about it.
0: Yeah. And you even have, you have biblical authors who make reference to the book of Enoch in a way that doesn't necessarily legitimize it as scripture, but shows that it was part of their framework for the world and the spiritual world and how it worked. So Peter and Jude both say things that give reference to this book and what that book does. uh, I mean, it does a whole bunch of stuff. It's like, again, it's very strange. Um, Silas is talking about the watchers cause that's a category of spiritual being that, that is um, central to the story of the book of Enoch. And that the watchers I believe are the spiritual beings that do the Genesis six stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and their watcher is a term for an angelic being that is used in the Bible. Daniel mm-hmm. describes some type of angelic being as a yeah, watcher.
1: The, the watchers end up teaching humanity like how to use metal and make like ancient technology yeah. and stuff.
0: And famously, they teach human women about makeup, which is interesting. So, you, you know, I'm not saying makeup is evil, but, you know, Enoch sure seems to think it was. Um, so, yeah. So they give like secret knowledge to humanity and, secret and knowledge, yeah. um, super interesting. But the, the thing that's w- interesting for today, because we're talking about these rebellious spiritual beings, is that the book of Enoch makes a connection between what we call demons in the New Testament mm-hmm. and the Nephilim that are the result of this uh spiritual and human sexual interaction so i have a giant quote should i read it yeah or go for it all right get get ready to get weird everybody this is from first enoch chapter 15 and now the giants who are produced from the spirits and flesh shall be called evil spirits upon the earth and on the earth shall be their dwelling stay with me evil spirits have proceeded from their bodies because they are born from men and from the holy watchers is their beginning and primal origin. They shall be evil spirits on earth and evil spirits shall they be called. As for the spirits in heaven, in heaven shall be their dwelling. But as for the spirits of earth, which were born upon the earth, you can see why it'd be hard to read this whole book. Um, on the earth shall be their dwelling and the spirits of the giants, afflict, oppress, destroy, attack, do battle and work destruction on the earth and cause trouble. They take no food, but nevertheless hunger and thirst. That's super creepy. And cause offenses. And these spirits shall rise up against the children of men and against the women because they have proceeded from them. So, um, oh wait, hold on. I got to read the last sentence. From the days of slaughter and destruction and death of the giants, from the souls of whose flesh the spirits having gone forth shall destroy without incurring judgment. So Ethiopian Orthodox, Tewahedo Church, and the Eretrian Orthodox, Tewahedo Church have the Book of Enoch as part of their Bible. Thank you, um, Ed and Dina. Bless, um, Andrew. Best uh, to answer your question. I would say no. Enoch is not inspired Scripture, and and mo- and the argument for that is way too complicated for us to get into because it involves. Yeah, no.
1: I mean, no one really. I mean, other than the Eretrian Church it, the, the and the Ethiopian vast church. majority of Christians, it's not even been a question. It's not even yeah. like have been a, that big. It's not debate. even in the apocrypha um, or yeah, anything. No, so, so, but it is. It's like. Um, if you were to read a one of the most influential preachers in the year twenty twenty one about their interpretation of a passage, yeah. it gives you an insight into how people in that time period looked at that passage. But even more so, why it's more important is we're further removed from the ancient Jewish context that that was written in than whoever whoever wrote the Book of Enoch. Yes, um, that's and right. Even what's interesting is even if he's making stuff up left and right. He's making stuff up with categories that are closer to the categories of scriptures than we might just naturally begin. Yeah.
0: And it wasn't viewed as a work of fiction by people at that time, the lines of fiction and nonfiction weren't drawn the same way they are now. What about Um,
1: though, what it would like be like to, to, to be hungry all the time, but to never get food. Dude,
0: isn't that like there it's such a nice creepy turn of phrase describing these spiritual beings. It says they, um, where is it?
1: They, They always hunger and thirst. Yeah, they take take.
0: no food, but nevertheless hunger and thirst. It's always Christmas or always winter, but never Christmas, as
1: C.S. Lewis once said. So Aslan of Canterbury (laughs) said that. (laughs) Yeah.
0: So, okay, here's what I think um, and not I shouldn't say I think a lot of scholars believe this. The point being made in that section of Enoch is that what we think of as demons, meaning these kind of like wandering the earth spiritual beings that oppress people, demonize people. Mm -hmm. The type of being that Jesus is interacting with in the New Testament is not just like, you know, a common spiritual being that was created by God, but is specifically the disembodied spirit of dead Nephilim. What the heck? But that, so again, Bible doesn't say that. um, But clearly a lot of people, a lot of Jewish people in the intertestamental period thought that this isn't the only place you see that it's just the clearest place yeah. so the idea again is that spiritual beings sons of god bene elohim have sexual relationships with human women the results of the resulting offspring are these giant nephilim kind of unholy amalgamation of mm. human and divine and when those beings die the book of enoch is saying that the spiritual half of that yeah continues on in like Never-ending hunger and thirst, tormenting people and causing yeah. offenses, as it says. So, and maybe um, the only
1: way it gets to eat is when it occupies a body. Then,
0: maybe. Dang, that's in Second Enoch. Yeah, that's two. Second Enoch. Well, I
1: mean, <laughs> you, 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 we're. It sounds ridiculous to us, but you're again having to think in the, those categories yeah. of like. They're what are spiritual they motivated by that that knew what it was like to eat physical food but now they're disembodied roaming spirits and they kind of long to to have, have that again
0: uh, who i mean who knows who knows and so it's it's an interesting it's an interesting idea because what i think is helpful about it is that it shows that the average religious jew in the intertestamental period does not think of demons as like oh they're just spirits that's yeah. just what bad spiritual beings are like. Um, but that specifically, these are the spiritual leftovers of the yeah. Nephilim and the Rephaim. They're not even the
1: big bad dogs up no. top. Yeah, and again, I, I, we're, getting, we're getting in the weeds,
0: but the, it's important
1: because, again, as we started, there are spiritual beings and there's tons of different categories of these in scriptures. It's not just that there's a devil and then all of these kind of minions on the same playing field. There's different, cap- there's, it's a diverse spiritual yeah. world.
0: And that's really important because when you, when you get to the New Testament, um, and this again has to do with language, the, the Hebrew language has much fewer words than Greek. The Greek language has much fewer words than English. And the more specific the language gets, um, the more you can kind of choose terms to flatten things out if you want to. So Elohim is a big, broad word that can encompass a lot of things but the Greek word demon isn't as broad and the English transliteration of that word becomes even more specific. So by the time you have the Greek translation of the old Testament, every spiritual being is flattened into like an angel or a demon. Basically, you don't have the word. They don't use the word theos God to describe those anymore.
1: And we've kind of inherited the narrative that says they all made their decision on being good or bad, like
0: at some point
1: before creation. Uh, And at minimum, at minimum, it appears that there are people designated as spiritual beings, the sons of the Elohim, that began their rebellion in Genesis yeah. 6.
0: And what we're not going to talk about is whether that's what UFOs are. Okay, moving. Ancient aliens, <laughs> man. Ancient aliens. You got that one meme of the guy who's going like this?
1: Yeah, with the hair. He has the yeah, hair. Yeah, he's got the
0: hair. And he, Drew Dowler's famous for making versions of that. Yeah. Um, so, okay, bit of a turn here. Um, so, oh, q- quick, we, we, yeah, got, yeah, yeah. we, we answered, uh, we did not answer Ellen Waddell's question. So were these spirits destroyed in the flood? The so argument would be no, that the spirits were not.
1: Yeah, the, uh, but maybe the, to answer your question, maybe you're, are the, the Nephilim. Yeah. So the union was destroyed, but some people would say, well, again, who knows? Some people would say the spirits went on. Some people would say that they were they were destroyed. But and the Bible did. seems to indicate that, which is really weird, they appear later.
0: Exactly. That's what I was going to say too.
1: This this is, I mean, this is one of the weird things of scripture is that it'll be like, oh, we, we thought we got them all. Yeah. And it's like, dude, we didn't get them all.
0: Yeah. In fact, there's a really good argument to be made. And this is an argument Michael Heiser makes pretty compellingly um, that the conquests of Israel when they come into the promised land and they're doing all this brutal warfare, like one of the hardest sections of scripture to read for many people, that the aim of those conquests was eliminating the remaining Nephilim and Rephaim, that what they're actually after, um, is taking out all of these kind of giants that are leftovers from the spiritual rebellion. Um, and he, you know, in his book, Unseen Realm, he goes really deep into trying to prove that point. It's, it's somewhat of a fringy opinion in the sense that it's, it's not something that's taught normally. Um, and you have to make a few, in my opinion, a few leaps, that are not a hundred. That can get a little tenuous to yeah. believe that. But it's an interesting point. A- and the dude
1: backs like backs his stuff up to the best. Some of the best you'll see in the, in that. Like everything is free on his website. And if he says yeah. something weird, he'll go. Go to my well, website and there's a well, hundred pages. you have pages. to listen to. I did two podcasts <laughs> yeah. on it, and each podcast is split up into four parts that are eight hours yeah. long. He had page. a
0: video about because I w- when I was researching other stuff for this series, he had a video that was just about the Raphaim that was six and a half hours long on YouTube. Yeah, the so dude doesn't mess around. He does not mess around. He's incredible. Um, he's an example of one of those dudes who's much smarter than we are. So, And he definitely thinks that, that that was the primary purpose of the conquest was... I thought you
1: meant he definitely thinks he's smarter than us.
0: He, d- I, mean, I think he does, he and he's does. correct. He probably does. He thinks he's smarter than us, and he's right about that. Um, and by the way, as Alice said, it's a great book. So if if what we're talking about tonight and in this series is interesting to you, I would say Michael Heiser's Unseen Realm is the kind of the most... Like comprehensive treatment of this subject in a single book. Or There's Ghostbusters. A, Ghostbusters, that's great too. Um, the Nephilim turned into that big Stave Puff Marshmallow Man thing. I mean, that's you know what,
1: Kevin? You remember that? That's a that's a giant. That's Can a giant am- they had to take. Can out, you imagine? Ama-
0: that's uh that's what's his name who founded Babel? Uh, <laughs> what if you um, who, Perez, Nimrod? Nim- Nimrod, the mighty hunter. Yeah. Um, no, you, dude. Can you imagine if we could get on Michael Heiser's show and just completely with a straight face be like, and like format the question really well? So I watched this movie and it brings together some of your theories with the supernatural. It didn't quite make sense until I read your book, so he's kind of getting buttered up a little bit. And then by the end, Kevin dropped the link in the, in there the chat, we go. in the live chat. If and you and he looked. has a shorter version because Unseen Realm was huge. Um, supernatural is the shorter version of the book um, that's, that kind of summarizes a lot of what he's saying without a lot of the argument. <laughs> when we can see Kevin's web searching. And when he Googled supernatural, he did not only get the book we were looking for on Amazon. Um, Ellen has a great question, which is how could the giant still exist after the flood? And, and the answer to that is we don't know. Um, there's a lot of things like that in the Bible where there's mysteries that are in there on purpose. The authors are far too smart and intentional to like accidentally be like, oh, wait, we didn't. But there are clearly examples like that where there's the flood. But then in the, con- there's no question that there's giant offspring still remaining. Yeah,
1: after. And this, this is an important note um, that is, it's, it's, it's difficult to hear if you have a high view of the Bible, right? which, we, which do, we both do, which we both do. But the Bible will use language that comes across in English as if it's meaning 100%. But in reality, it didn't mean 100%. So I'll give you the best example of this. In Elijah and the prophets of Baal, Hmm. it says that Elijah gathered all of Israel at the top of Mount Carmel. Impossible. Now, he didn't gather. Do you mean all of them? like even the one, even the the people who were sick even and and if you're strictly going to be like absolutely that's what it says then you have to picture the entire nation of Israel gathered at that moment right. upon
0: the top and we've both been there and that's not possible
1: right no it's not possible
0: um and so that's a great example. And another great example is all of the things at the end of the conquest of Canaan that are in the same book. So the end of Joshua, yeah. like the middle of Joshua, it'll be like, and he completely wiped out every Canaanite ever. That's not what it actually says, yeah. but some kind of incredibly comprehensive language about. And then later in the same book, it'll be like, but there remained in the land, this tribe. Yeah, this sometimes tribe it's
1: tribe. in the next chapter. Like yeah. tr- it says everyone was taken out of this city and in the next chapter, some of those people are still there. So what you have to understand is that in English, all of Israel communicates something with precision as if every last one of them. But in Hebrew and in the ancient Near East, all of them, if you would ask them, you, you, you mean every, no, I don't mean everybody. I mean, there's like tons of them, man. A lot of Israel was up there. And so um, it's very difficult to translate those words. But again, even if your translations are good and they're doing the best they can, you're going to know if just just basic common sense will tell you probably all, every last person of Israel is not on that. And if there's doubt, scripture will usually clarify as in the next chapter, it says, well, there was, of course there was still some remain. Yeah.
0: And, and you have to just know that these books in the Bible were more like poured over and carefully kept and, and like, like, Put together with such incredible care yeah. and detail, no one is accidentally being like, "Oh my gosh, dude!" It went to the publisher, and we completely accidentally left in a thing that said that yeah. we killed all the Cain. Like they know that it's there, mm-hmm. um, and so similarly with the flood. Um, I mean, and people have similar questions in terms of like, you know, when Cain gets kicked out out of his family, and he's afraid of getting killed. They're like, "Well, who's Cain afraid of?" I thought that the only people on earth. So um, yeah, so it's a great question, and it just kind of y- it's, it's that tension that you have to live in that um after the flood some of these giant and again there's an argument to be made that all of the giants prior to the flood did die and that angels did that again Um, yeah that's certainly that's a theory that Heiser floats
1: who knows if these spiritual beings haven't made subsequent rebellions we really don't we don't know
0: yeah so super interesting stuff um both those books are good i also recommend if you want to do a super deep dive um A few years ago, the Bible Project podcast had a series that I believe was called God. Um, And it had like 18 parts or more. Every part's an hour and a half long conversation. Um, But that was what really started opening this stuff up to me. So highly recommend that. Kevin is like the link master. Yeah, and the the short cartoons
1: on this are really good because they have a cartoon on... Tim Mackey probably would not
0: like me. They have a cartoon on... It's not um, a cartoon. It's an explanatory short film. uh, Yeah, Uh,
1: yeah. And it really is. So I, sh- I, 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 but they have one on spiritual beings, um, the Satan, the adversary. They have one on the divine council. So a lot of the things we've talked about in the two previous weeks, they have these short, kind of animated explanations. What Isaac's saying
0: is, if you want a better, shorter explanation, watch the Bible Project instead of this show.
1: But they don't got F- Flaco Sam on. They it.
0: don't. They don't. Whatever that means, he—that's <laughs> not happening on the Bible Project. <laughs> You won't get us desperately trying to get advertisers from Mr. Hong to Spindrift. flock.
1: Um, okay. Flock will skinny in Spanish, but I'm just telling you that's the cameras. <laughs> <laughs> no, the camera adds 10 pounds
0: and we've been trying to, only get to, to add five to each of our biceps. Only to me, man. Um, you know, in the words of my photographer wife, the camera only takes what it sees.
1: That's what Photoshop is for.
0: <laughs> so, okay. One more thing. We'll, we'll, um, we'll wrap up after this. I, there's one more thing that's, sort of related to this that's worth exploring too. Um, and then next week we'll dive a little bit more specifically into the new Testament, um, Mm -hmm. Jesus and his interaction with demons. And then specifically, um, what is spiritual warfare? How is it actually described in scripture in, in like a really practical, what do Christians actually do? Are we supposed to be wearing crucifixes and, you know, saying magic words and the answer to those things is both no, but we'll talk about what we should do. Um, but before that, the w- the kind of closing out this section, there's a concept um, that unfortunately is really connected to one specific branch of Christianity, um, and it's it's the idea of territorial spirits. Mm-hmm. And so many of you, if you grew up in a charismatic or Pentecostal tradition, the idea of territorial spirits is probably familiar to you. S- um, and in an overlapping, similar way, in the w- in the world of missions, territorial spirits can it's be huge. a big thing. That um, and the and Id- to
1: be fair some of you grew up in denominations and you didn't even know there were spiritual beings. That's true. You didn't even know about demons or angels because that's it me. was I, just like, I grew up at this. Church. It was just <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> it was like, uh, there's just God. And that's like, well, w- when you die,
0: you'll, you know. Yeah. And I'm not even throwing shade at this. Cause the point I'm going to get to is I actually think there's some truth to this. It's just been kind of either you could say mishandled or overemphasized. Yeah. Um, the idea of territorial spirits, what people typically mean is that like over different specific regions or peoples or whatever, or movements philosophically, there are kind of like super demons or, or what we would call, as we've been saying in this series, powerful spiritual beings that are over that. Um, and so what that ends up sh- like amounting to pragmatically is people like, you know, praying against the spirit of a specific region, you get some of that stuff. Um, it's really interesting. Um, in comes from the book of Daniel, actually, where you have Mm. this, the angel, um, the archangel Michael who shows up to, Answered. answer the prayer yeah so daniel's praying for days if i remember right he's like right. seeking god and not getting an answer And michael shows up and like the way the picture is painted he's like out of breath And he's like i came as quick as i could but when i was on my way i was he- like i contending with the prince of persia contending with the prince of persia and you know that's one of those points where you want the bible to be like yeah. hey could you exp- like could you give a sidebar and who is that? And what yeah, do you and mean?
1: Prince of Persia sounds like a video game, yeah. but like it's the ruler. It's saying the ruler
0: of, Persia, of this region, a powerful region in the world at the time. It's um, like,
1: well, dude, how does that work?
0: And, and Michael is the only spiritual being called an archangel in the entire Bible. So we don't know if there's more than one, but he, he is, he is clearly this kind of like preeminent spiritual being very powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's like, I couldn't get here because I was contending with the Prince of Persia. Yeah. Um, and and it's worth saying, this is an apocalyptic section of the Bible. Everything's a little weird and you kind of want to almost zoom out and know that you're seeing something. It's like looking at Picasso more than, mm-hmm. you know, a, a, a more formal painting or whatever. Um, is that a bad, Kevin's laughing because that's a terrible comparison. A more formal painting. You know, a more formal. Can you not tell that I'm an art critic? <laughs> so, okay. But the point is, on the surface, it sure sounds like this incredibly powerful, good spiritual being got a hard time getting to Daniel because he had to fight an evil, super powerful spiritual being. So many people have extrapolated and said, well, if you, you know, you combine that with the gods of Egypt and the fact that there's, you know, there's Artemis in Ephesus, and there seem yeah. to be these kind of. Um, God said he brought down judgment on
1: the gods of Egypt, so maybe there are these geographically kind of bound.
0: Yeah. Spiritual realities. And there's a really interesting biblical case to be made for this that's super super nerdy. So we'll do it really fast. But in um, in Deuteronomy 32:8, in fact, I'll just pull that up. I wish you guys could see it, but I'll read it to you. It's just Kevin forgot verse. the
1: adapter, man.
0: Kevin, we forget. You know what's so funny? Here's the truth. We're throwing all this shade at Kevin. But Kevin, uh, he's going to bring it up and put it in the text. So he is. He's going to do it. The f- don't do that one. That's King James version. No, me and Isaac were both super busy today. And Kevin literally came here by himself and set this entire room up. And all we do is get on YouTube. No, live he's and the talk real OG, man. <laughs> he's
1: the real deal. <laughs> he's so a Kevin's true gonna homie. He's a real MVP.
0: Actually, Kevin, don't do ESV. Um, if you could do uh, NASB or NIV. Um, this gets weird. Yeah, this is su- super, super weird. So NIV says, when, so this is part of Moses' song at the end of Deuteronomy. Mos- God instructs Moses to sing this song and a lot of it is kind of rehearsing what just happened and explaining what's about to happen with Israel. Um, did I say Deuteronomy 28? Deuteronomy 32, verse 8. Um, that guy with the weird name is Hayton. He is. I don't know. I you not know how to say that name, man. Shkabariferous. So Kevin put it on the screen when the most high gave the nations their inheritance, when he separated the sons of mankind, he set the boundaries of the peoples according to the numbers of the sons of Israel. Now, um, really quick background cause we don't have time to go all the way into this, that separating of nations that's being described is, um, something that's called the table of nations, which is a, a section in farther back in the old Testament where the kind of 70 original nations are described and kind of where they came from. So it's, it's like this, you know, explanation of there's these 70-ish nations that, yeah. Now, that was the, that was NASB, Kev? Yeah. So that was NASB. NIV says something really similar. It says, according to the number of the sons of Israel, now put the ESV in. We're really putting Kevin through his paces here. I'll pull it up for myself while he does that. ESV is incredibly similar but it says one m- keyword difference. Yeah, maybe if you could put them both up even Kevin that'd be that'd be cool. Um I'll just wha- do the ESV man. Yeah, that's fine. And while he's doing that I'll read it to you. When the most high gave to the nations their inheritance, when he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of the peoples according to the number of the sons of Elohim.
1: Oh, he really did do both.
0: Man, Kevin, the real MVP. the real MVP. Okay. So, Almost exactly the same, as you can see. The only difference is one of them says "sons of Israel" and the other one says "sons of God." That is a like a massive difference and two extremely good translations. So NASB and ESV, both very trustworthy, very solid. Um, now the the difference comes, um, and we, we man, we don't have time to explain all the background of this, but there's a lot of choices that Bible translators can make as far as which manuscripts they choose to prioritize, um, and all. Uh, most of the time they agree on everything that matters um, and almost everything. Period. Yeah. Let me
1: succinctly say that one of the great advances of modern archaeology is there used to be an argument be made that there's all these different manuscripts and they all say different things and the church just kind of conspired and made up their made up their own version. Like the manuscripts are 99.9% of the time, they all in agreement. And usually when there's a discrepancy, it's like, It doesn't change anything substantially it's it's like which
0: is even the case for this one i mean we're just talking about kind of speculative interesting stuff it's not salvific it doesn't affect any major christian doctrine
1: one sounds normal one sounds weird
0: yeah and so the short version of the difference is that there's a really popular um old testament translation that's called the masoretic text that's quite late but it's very but it was handled really well and has proven to be incredibly consistent with the Dead Sea Scrolls, which were much older. Um, and then there's also the, what we've referred to before the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the old Testament, which is also much older than the Masoretic text. Um, and it was kind of the Bible that was in circulation and in use a lot in the first century by Greek speaking Jews. The Septuagint says, sons of God, the Masoretic text says sons of Israel. And the argument goes something like this. Well, as time went on, um, translators and started to think that there was a problem with sons of God and that what is actually being referred to are all the sons of Israel that go down to Egypt because the the, there's 72 of them.
1: Yeah, at the end of Genesis, beginning of Exodus. So,
0: the, you know, Jacob's family, when they come yeah. to Egypt, there's 72 of them, so they're like, that has to be what it's about.
1: God's dividing the nations up among... The people that he names at the end of the book of Genesis, beginning of the book of Exodus.
0: The problem is, um, and again, there are smarter people than me who will disagree with this. Uh, When you look into it, to me, it's really hard to make a case that sons of Israel is the right word there. It sure just looks like that was added um, into the Masoretic text and that all of the oldest stuff Mm -hmm. said sons of God. And so what's really interesting about that is that if that's the case, and by the way, speaking of Michael Heiser, he ha- he has a scholarly article on this, that's available for free online, mm-hmm. like to your point, an article mm-hmm. just on this, that is like, Kevin dozens try of to try to find it. long. Um, Kevin, man, he's just, he's, he's been watching it. Joe Rogan's show and he, he wants to be the new Jamie. He's young Jamie. So if you, so he's you compare, Jamie. he's old, he old Jamie. He old yeah. <laughs> so, the I, the whole point I'm trying to make here is that it seems to be taught in Scripture that there is some truth to the idea that when God is allotting nations, He puts them, in some sense, under the authority of these selected spiritual beings, and takes Israel as His nation at that yeah. time in history, with, of course, the eventual goal of reclaiming all of them. For and himself. it doesn't
1: tell you if they're all the. There, those spiritual beings will always behave and do what's right. Because right. we, what we talked about in week one and two is there's that Psalms passage where it appears God calls all the spiritual beings that he's delegated authority to. Because yeah. remember, we said, well, why does God need uh, spiritual beings to to exercise yeah. authority? God uses human beings yeah. to exercise God authority. God doesn't need Adam to God name animals for him. God doesn't need Adam to name animals. That's right. So God has... Delegated authority to these spiritual beings in Deuteronomy, and then in Psalms it seems like God calls them back and is like, "Dude, you guys are blowing it." Yeah, and so that's all he we tells them:
0: "You're you may be Elohim, but you're going to die like because humans." Because of this yeah,
1: type of thing. So there's some people that would connect the dots between those passages, and like the the Daniel passage, and saying there's this rogue one. There's a rogue spiritual being who's disobeyed yeah. in Persia. And Michael had to, you know, he had to go street fighter it up with yeah. the man.
0: Yeah, and, and it's, this isn't, the last point I'll make about this passage and then we'll wrap up, is that we just did this kind of giant like, well, the Septuagint says and the Masoretic text says and all this kind of like, but half the time, if you just read the rest of what you're reading, that's the clearest explanation. Context. And so I'm just gonna read the very next verse. Because it says, when the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, when he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of the peoples according to the number of the sons of God. But Yahweh's portion is his people, Jacob, his allotted heritage. Now, to me, it would make no sense if he was saying, he fixed the numbers according to the sons of Israel, but Israel is his Mm -hmm. portion. Um, It just, it, it... On the surface reading, if you just read the context, I'm talking about literally one more verse. It sure seems like he's saying other spiritual beings have some sort of claim on all of these other peoples. But at this point in Deuteronomy, Israel is God's. And again, the, the story is going to be that God is going to, through Israel, reclaim all the nations. As
1: the spiritual beings rebelled, God saves Israel first and foremost. Jesus comes for the flock of Israel, but that's not the end goal. The end goal is that the gospel would reach out to all the nations. And for the last 2,000 years, the gospel has been going out and making advances on the powers and principalities that rule and govern this present evil age. Yeah,
0: and that's what we'll get into next week. And as Isaiah said, it's too light of a thing for his servant to lift up only Jacob. He's going to make him a light to all nations. And that's kind of the great secret of the gospel for the Old Testament is what God has been up to this whole time with Israel was actually to rescue all nations. So yeah,
1: the great mystery in Ephesians is that both Jew and Gentile were a part of the plan. Awesome.
0: And so next week, what we're going to do is dive a little bit more into the New Testament look at what does spiritual warfare actually look like? Spoiler alert, not usually like the exorcist. Um, Mm -hmm. And we'll talk about what is it that Christians ought to be doing when it comes to this stuff. Sound good? All right. That sounds good. We got
1: 19 likes. Whoever didn't like it, you're not wishing happy birthday to Sam's baby girl. Not wishing happy birthday to Ed Bless. It's
0: messed up. You still have time. (laughs) God bless. Thanks, guys. Thanks for being here.